Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. Today's podcast is sponsored by Compassion International. We are so excited, so grateful to have Compassion on board with us here at Sports Spectrum, partnering with us on the podcast. And and they do such a wonderful job. 1.8 million people have been released from poverty in Jesus' name through Compassion, through sponsors like you and through sponsors like myself. Because my wife and my daughter and I, we sponsor a 13-year-old boy from Haiti through Compassion, and it's the best $38 we spend every single month. And we want to encourage you to do the same. $38 a month. Go to Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum. That's our new website. That's the URL to go to and sponsor a child through Compassion by providing education and medical care and the opportunity to know Christ and to grow in a relationship with Jesus. So check it out, $38 a month. Consider sponsoring a child and making a difference, providing that hope and getting a child out of poverty. Man, you can make a difference with Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. Today's guest on the podcast, Donnie Floyd. NASCAR chaplain with Hendrick Motorsports, one of the first NASCAR guests we've had here on the podcast. It's a, NASCAR is so popular uh, with so many fans out there, and Donnie was a pit crew member for many years with Hendrick Motorsports from 1999 to 2017. He also served our country for eight years in the Air Force as a security forces peacekeeper and then went and worked in law enforcement. Uh, for a few years before coming over to NASCAR. So he's got quite an interesting story. Uh, He currently leads a Bible study every week. They call it a a fellowship lunch over at Hendrick Motorsports, where over 100 race crew members attend at the office. It's really neat. And Donnie's story and journey of becoming a chaplain actually started quite a few years before he took the job. And unfortunately, it took place uh, in the aftermath of a tragedy that happened in 2004 when Uh, Many members of Hendrick Motorsports, 10 actually, 10 people associated with Hendrick Motorsports perished in a a plane crash. And uh, Donnie knew the people that uh, that died on that plane. And he says it affected him uh, greatly in how he wanted to be intentional about his faith and tell others about Jesus. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Our first NASCAR interview here on the podcast. This is Donnie Floyd. NASCAR chaplain with Hendrick Motorsports. Take a listen. Welcome, Donnie, to the podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you, Donnie, and we're excited to kind of dive into the NASCAR world a little bit here on the podcast. And let's start with this year, 2018. And let's just talk about what your day-to-day role looks like as a team chaplain, as as a chaplain with Hendrick Motorsports. What does that look like? Uh, so I uh, have, you know, basic hours like Monday through Friday, you know, 8.30 to 5.30. I come into the office here on the campus, and uh, uh, sometimes uh, you don't know what your week's going to look like. That's based on uh, the different types of people uh, you're dealing with, if they call you, connect with you, if they want to meet with you. So a lot of times, some of those things kind of just come spontaneous. You don't really know. But a normal schedule is Monday I come in. I usually start my days off with an early morning devotion and prayer to kind of get me ready for the what's going on throughout the day. Uh, 
10 o'clock on Mondays, uh, we have a carbon department. They're actually a department of guys that build a lot of the carbon fiber that goes on the race cars. They actually build uh, uh, quite a number of the seats that most of the drivers sit in uh, that drive in the sport. And uh, I do a devotion there every Monday, and we sit together, and uh, we're going through a series on truth and uh, just encourage the guys, pray for them. And then I start preparing uh, a message or continue preparing a message for a Wednesday fellowship lunch, which we, we have uh, every Wednesday on campus. Uh, it started off some 20 years ago as just a simple little Bible study uh, with a couple men, and it's turned into uh, 100 and 120 employees that come now. So we do that every Wednesday. Uh, we serve a meal to our employees, a free meal, buffet meal, and anyone on campus of the 600 employees are able to come if they wish, uh, and they come and they get to fellowship, uh, they get to have a meal, and then I speak a message, and we're usually in some type of topical series or theme-based series that applies to their life, to their work, uh, to things they're going through uh, uh, in their families, their homes, their marriages, uh, or in the sport of NASCAR and racing. Uh, and then after that, uh, I uh, write a devotion for our aviation department for most of our employees that uh, fly out every week. So every Thursday, most of them get on our team planes and fly from city to city. I write a devotion. I call it the in-flight devotion, where when they go to get on the plane, if they want a little devotion to take with them before they go, I write that usually and have that uh, over at the aviation department uh, by Thursday. Now, outside of that, uh, those tasks there, much of my day is spent uh, walking around the campus of the 600-plus employees and uh, just talking with them, encouraging them, uh, seeing how their day's going, um, things like that. That's 100, uh, 100 employees that you said or so, more than 100, that attend your fellowship lunch on Wednesdays, and you have 600 employees. So that is quite the ratio of people who work at a place coming to be a part of a devotional and coming from a guy who worked at ESPN for 17 years and we did a similar thing on a much smaller level and they have 5,000 employees at ESPN and we had about 25 people that would attend. So I'm just blown away that, that over 100 employees would attend this. That's a That's a wonderful number and I just wonder sort of the culture that it is Hendrick Motorsports and what type of culture exists to allow for this to be received so well. And I know it's in the South versus the North, but just kind of wondering what, what that culture is like and being received so well to want to attend something like this. Uh, well, I think it, it, it all starts at the top with Mr. Hendrick. Uh, obviously he and his wife are believers uh, and, um, uh, Many, many years ago when the late John Hendrick was here, his brother, uh, he, he was more of this evangelist. You know, he wanted to get out and, uh, and, and uh, take what he knew about the Lord and take it into the workplace. And he simply just started a small Bible study uh, up in the motor department. And I think five people showed up, you know, and they would just read the Bible uh, once or twice a month. And then, and then he thought, well, maybe we'll just bring some pizzas in. And uh, we'll have a little study. And then next thing you know, it went to 10. And then as it started to kind of grow, they thought, well, maybe we need to do this twice a month. And then they would bring food. And that continued and continued. 
And uh, he at the time, at one time, when it got you know pretty big, 50, 60 people, uh, John Hendrick was actually the speaker. Uh, so everyone was coming to what at that time they called the Bible study. Uh, and uh, they would get the meal, but but John Hendrick, the president of the company at the time, was was actually the one leading the Bible study, and so that's kind of where the culture came from. It was the thing where the leadership they believe in this, and it's never been something pushed on anyone at the company. Of course, it's simply been this is here if you want to come, and uh, and it was kind of kind of you know one employee would go and say, hey, you ever thought about coming down to this this Bible study? And uh, it just went from five to, you know, I think this Christmas we had, or this Easter, I think we had about 140 show up. Hmm. You know, so pr pretty, pretty neat to see in the workplace. Is there a story you can tell, and certainly don't name any names if you can't, of, of a driver that you've ministered to, that you've seen them kind of, or led them in a way that's helped them kind of grow closer in the Lord. And, and you saw like a real conversion. You saw an amazing awakening, something that happened in their life, a transformation that you can share. Is there a story there? You know, a lot of times I don't know that there's really a one-on-one -on -one story. It's a constant uh, work in progress. You know, it's a constant work in progress. And sometimes uh, you don't really know. Uh, you don't see fruit instant you don't see uh you know the harvest is not right there in front of you uh it's a constant week by week day by day uh sometimes month by month year by year where you're just watching watching them grow sometimes you're even asking you know is there anybody hearing what i'm saying mm -hmm. uh, and it's a constant uh, mode of walking in prayer and just trusting that the lord is uh, taking the words that we use as chaplains to uh to reach not only drivers, because if we think about our drivers, say every weekend we have 40 drivers that are in the car. But what a lot of people don't see uh, is the thousands of crew members that put the drivers in that car and build the car. And much of the ministry that I do in MRO, uh, we reach a lot of that, those people, the unseen people, uh, the people that uh, most people don't even get to see. Uh, from a day-to-day -day basis, uh, such as like at Hendrick Motorsports, where it's just you got 600 people, uh, you know, in the process of fielding four teams. Yeah. Uh, so there's only four drivers out of those 600, right? Right. So there's another 500 plus people who um, take a lot of time and a lot of uh, uh, interest in what a chaplain does that we get to minister to. That we're around even more than the drivers. So there's, there's, I don't know if there's really one instance that I could speak of to say that, hey, I was able to, God was able to use me to lead this guy, uh, this person uh, in their faith walk. But I do believe as a whole, when we do chapel services, do them at the track, uh, it's a joint effort. There's this unity of the body where we're, we're as believers, as chaplains, we're doing that together. And I don't really know that... Um, you can kind of put one instance on that and say, uh, you know, I did this or I was having this conversation and it went to this, at least not for me anyway. Well, what do you see? How about not just for the drivers, but for the, you know, for teams and the, and the people that you minister to on a daily and a weekly and a monthly basis? What do you see as being the biggest spiritual struggle spiritual battle that a lot of these people have, maybe even the drivers, but the spiritual battle that you see 
that's been consistent um, through the years. You know, you've only been the chaplain for the last few years, but like, what is that? What has that been? That spiritual battle that you've seen that's been fairly consistent throughout many of the of the team members. I would say mostly uh, contentment, uh, and I don't mean that when you hear that word and you think in a competitive environment, you're like, man, you don't want to ever be content. <laughs> especially in racing, and I don't mean it from a racing perspective because in NASCAR, in this sport, you don't want to ever be content. You want to always be trying to progress and get better and get faster And because if you're not, the competition is. But from a personal standpoint, as crew guys, as people working to build cars, as uh, everyone uh, that's in the process in support of getting the cars to the track and getting things ready for that driver to strap in, uh, a lot of time, the spiritual battle is contentment, uh, trying to find uh, contentment in your job, trying to find contentment when you're not winning, trying to find contentment uh, in, you know, in your marriage, uh, contentment in the amount of hours you're working, contentment in the fact that uh, this job only pays this much and not this much. And it's a constant battle to uh, remind people that the devil the adversary does mm-hmm. not want anyone to be content. He doesn't want them to be content. So I would say that was probably the one of the biggest spiritual um, things I deal with is trying to find people that can be content, but not just mostly in their faith, being content with who God is and what he's done for them. Donnie Floyd joins us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Let's talk about your career for a second, Donnie, your NASCAR career, first of all. How that got started. I know you joined Hendrick Motorsports back in 1999. Take us to that time and how that first opportunity came about for you into NASCAR. So in 1999, I was actually a a police officer, a narcotics investigator uh, with a police department here in the Charlotte area. And um, uh, my twin brother, I have a twin brother, he was actually an employee at Hendrick Motorsports on the five team. Uh, Terry Labonte's team, and uh, I got a call one day just out of the blue, random call, and uh, he asked me if I ever thought about being on a race team, and I thought it was kind of odd, but me and my brother, we grew up in Charlotte around racing and around NASCAR, and we had a love for it. It was kind of a passion of ours to go to the races every uh, time they came to Charlotte, and my dad would take us, and, and we loved working on cars, and my brother, he pursued, you know, the, the call and I felt, you know, he felt he had on his life to go into racing and he did that. And I, as much as I enjoyed that, I never really felt like I wanted to do it. Uh, so I, I felt a calling on my life to be a, be a police officer, to be a servant, to be in law enforcement. So that's what I did. So some years later when I got this call, um, and he asked me about doing this, it was kind of like this neat thing, like, man, why would they want me to be on a professional race team? I've never worked on a race team before. (laughs) And the scenario from him was they were looking for someone with no experience. So they could kind of train them up in a certain way. And uh, they just needed one person uh, to work at a certain department. And uh, so I kind of entertained the idea and talked to my wife about it and uh, interviewed with the crew chief at the time was Andy Graves. they were willing to give me the opportunity, a 90-day trial, and if I didn't like it, then they, we would just part ways. And my chief of police 
actually, uh, after speaking with him about it, he said if it didn't work out, he would hire me back. So hmm. it was kind of a win-win situation. So yeah, exactly. Like a sports <laughs> team calling you, a professional sports team calling you and saying, hey, you want to come play play for us? And uh, it was kind of a, a unique opportunity. So, uh, so I took it, you know, with a little reservation, not sure, but uh, that was 19 years ago. Tell me about what kind of job duties you had, what it entailed. I know you were a pit crew member. Tell me about what your job entailed. Uh, I know you were there for 18 years in, in before you became a chaplain. Tell me about some of the things that you were able to do. So when I started out, I started out uh, in the paint and body shop uh, working with one guy. We were a little smaller back then, weren't quite as big as they are today. And uh, I worked with the older gentleman that had been in sport in a while. So uh, he taught me basically how to do all the body work on the cars, how to do the uh, templates and all, which has to do with the NASCAR inspection grid, uh, painting. Uh, and I kind of started out, you know, ground floor doing that and slowly learned that. Uh, and as that moved on through the first year, uh, I started helping a guy put on the decals. And then uh, next thing you know, I was putting on all the decals. Uh, it's something that I just figured God gave me this gift to work with my hands, and I felt like I was pretty good at it, and they noticed that. And as I continued to move forward uh, throughout the years, I would just take on more responsibilities to do some fab stuff. And next thing you know, I'm painting all the car. I'm, I'm painting cars on my own. And then about that time in the early 2000, a bunch of the teams started using wraps, uh, vinyl wraps to wrap the cars instead of paint. And so I started dabbling in that a little bit and kind of mastered that. And next thing you know, I'm wrapping race cars. And, uh, you know, I went from learning something just very simple, like just doing paint and body. And, you know, within, you know, a few years, I was uh, paint, body, templates, wrapping cars, decaling, ordering and inventorying, account managing all the vinyl and the graphics that came in. Uh, and then on the weekends, uh, for a few years, I uh, worked in pit support, uh, assisting all the pit department. Uh, traveling race to race, uh, doing and handing in rear tires uh, for the pit crew. So that entailed going, setting up the pits, tearing down the pits, uh, being involved in the pit stops, uh, pit practicing throughout the week. And uh, and from there, it just you know, the more you get involved, the more you can do in the sport. So it just kept progressing, you know, week after week, month after month, year after year, until you know a good four or fifth year you're getting pretty you're pretty good you've done it for quite a while and uh so then you're being taken to the track to help fix race cars and uh which you never want to do that but you do appreciate when they want somebody to come in and uh to fix a car because they believe you can do a great job at it so uh that's kind of how it looked for me starting off and we will get back to our conversation with Donnie Floyd, NASCAR chaplain with Hendrick Motorsports in just a moment. But want to take a second to tell you about Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child for just $38. This is an opportunity for you to partner with us, partner with Compassion, and make a difference in a child's life. We're talking about life-saving type opportunities here in making this difference in a child's life, over 150,000 children chose to follow Jesus Christ in the last year alone through compassion. 
Really great opportunity here for you to make a difference. $38 a month. It's the best $38 we spend, the Romano family spends every single month. And we want to encourage you to join us and spend that $38 to help a child. $38 gets them education and tutoring and medical care and food, vocational training, a faith-based relationship with Christ. I mean, it's just such a great thing to see. And it's an opportunity for you to make a difference in a child's life. Go to Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. Now back to our conversation with Donnie Floyd on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. What are some of your favorite memories as a pit crew member? Maybe a race you were involved in or a couple of them. What are some memories that come to mind when I ask you about your your time as a pit crew member? Probably my most memorable time would be the first race I ever won, and that was with Terry Labonte at the All-Star Race at Charlotte. Um, I remember going over there, and I was kind of still new at this, you know, the rookie per se, and uh, our team had not been having a great weekend practice-wise, and it was kind of one of them weekends you were just ready to get it over with. And, uh, of course, the race started. We really weren't running that good, and uh, there was a bad wreck. Uh, I shouldn't say a bad wreck, but a big wreck, and uh, everybody was okay. Uh, But whatever happened uh, with our car, the five car, it ended up making it a little bit better, and we ended up winning the all-star race. We passed Tony Stewart on the last lap and won the race, and it was like it was kind of blew us away because we had such a bad weekend, and here we are winning one of the biggest races, uh, you know, of his career, of the team's career. So that was probably the most memorable for me because my first win was actually the all-star race, you hmm. know, and uh, it, it's a pretty big deal to win that all-star race over at Charlotte. Along with the great memories, of course, unfortunately, as life happens, the tough ones come as well. And that happened for all of Hendrick Motorsports on October 24th in 2004, when 10 people associated with Hendrick Motorsports lost their lives in a plane crash while en route from Concord, North Carolina. Tell us about where you were on that day in the aftermath, as well as how faith in Christ sustained you and so many others, and maybe changed the trajectory of your life uh, after that moment. Tell us about that that crash and, and that time. So that day I was actually uh, at my parents. I had just come home from church with my family. I was not on the road then, and... Uh, I remember seeing a blurb come across on the news that a, they believe a Hendrick plane had, had gone down. And I, I found it to be kind of odd because Martinville Speedway, our teams, we do not fly there. We drive there because it's close enough to Charlotte that our teams don't need to fly there. Uh, so I thought, well, who's actually flying there because we don't fly there? But then I thought, well, sometimes the executives, for the sake of time, they fly because it's it's easier for them to fly in. Right. Uh, because they're on such tight schedules. So then I knew it, it must be some of the executives on that plane. And, and uh, you know, something that night uh, told me to just go out to the complex, you know. Uh, it became true. We knew that it was real, that a plane had actually gone down. So I drove out to the, to the complex there in Concord and uh, not really sure what, what, uh, what I was going to see. I was, I was a man of faith, a believer. And I just knew that, man, this was going to really rock our company. And uh, so I I drove out and didn't really expect to see what I saw. A lot of people were there. The media was there. And uh, I remember uh, 
just thinking, you know, God, I'm not sure why I'm here. Maybe to comfort some of my coworkers or to uh, let's let's just come together and think about the Hendrick family and everybody was on that plane. And I ended up just actually, uh, there was a lot of traffic and they had some cones out and I started moving some cones. Uh, my old policing days kind of came back to me and I started moving some cones and kind of helping people come out, come and go. And, and, uh, we have a, uh, kind of a policy. We don't talk to the media, you know, we have PR people that do that. And, uh, but the media yet surrounded me. And wanted to ask some questions, and I thought, well, we'll sh- we'll we'll answer some questions. Maybe they'll leave. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I answered a few questions uh, about you know just that the media asked about everything that was going on. And of course, there's a lot of questions I didn't answer. Uh, but they asked if there's anything else I wanted to say, and I just remember thinking, you know. As all this is going on and the story's going to come out and, and what we're all going to make of it or, or see or think about it, uh, I just reminded them that, you know, now is the time that maybe we need to let God do what he does, you know. Hmm. And uh, I remember that uh, that ended up going live the next day, and even a friend of mine from California called, and it was like that was one of the things that got put up uh, to be seen. And to me, that was a great reminder because uh, obviously one of the people on that plane was John Hendrick. Uh, he was the leader of our Bible study. And mm-hmm. um, one thing he always spoke about uh, at the end of every message he had was make sure you're ready. Always be ready. And uh, what he meant by that is be ready when your time comes that you'll leave this life and go into eternity. And so I just felt like, you know, there's a moment when tragedy happens that we need to step back and let God do what he does because as tragic as it is, God's sovereign and he's all knowing and he knows exactly what's going on. And, uh, I just felt like that was, uh, that was my moment for that night to just go and try to encourage some people and, and, and serve and just be there, uh, for anybody that may have some questions or concerns, but mostly just go level my teammates. And in many ways, that kind of was a precursor to you becoming a chaplain. Was that sort of a, the, the start, the jump start to maybe thinking about that world and going and, and ministering to others? Uh, actually, it was. There was a time when uh, probably 2003, you know, I was I was starting to think about maybe going back to policing. And uh, there was a lot. There's a lot about racing that's tough. It's a tough sport. It's a lot of hours, and we call it the grind. And uh, it's a lot of traveling, and it's a you know it's a, it's a deadline industry. So uh, a lot of your work is rushed uh, just simply because uh, the trucks are leaving on Wednesday and they're driving to another city so they can race on the weekend. And there's a lot about it that's tough. And uh, I thought about possibly walking away from it. And uh, my wife. Uh, reminded me of one day as wives often do (laughs) she said maybe you're not there for you you know maybe you're there for somebody else and uh, i continued to stay on and but when that plane crashed uh, it really changed the dynamic of uh the way i looked at at people it kind of took me back to my policing days as uh, i was reminded uh, when i was in law enforcement that you know uh, life is fragile you know and life is not promised to any of us, uh, we're not promised tomorrow. We're given today, 
and we're to make the best of it. But but tomorrow's not promised to us, and often we don't want to think of that. Uh, but I've seen that uh, in my days in law enforcement, uh, weekly, monthly, people who were losing their lives for various reasons, and then all of a sudden you're in a professional race team, and ten people lose their lives in an instant through a tragic, you know, a tragic accident, and uh, and then it becomes, well, how do we respond to that? And I just felt like God was telling me that, hey, you're in a place where you can let people know of who I am. I am God, and I'm in control, and that I have, uh, I'm a God of hope, you know, and I provide hope. And uh, it became an opportunity for me to say, you know, is am I here to actually try to encourage and provide hope and share the hope of Jesus Christ with people in the workplace? And it was a process. But I believe that uh, that that accident, that plane going down, was a kind of a catalyst to push me and for God to remind me that, hey, I want, I want to use you now. If you'll, if you'll let me, I want to use you. Uh, and that, that was definitely uh, what started it. And then 2017 comes, and here you are as a chaplain. So how does that position come about? How does the actual decision to join motor racing outreach and become a chaplain happened for you? So after the plane crash, um, one thing I started noticing was, you know, it's, it's, it's a good opportunity to get out there and uh, be bold enough to share my faith. And I'm not talking about walking around and proselytizing all around the workplace constantly every day, but just being there for people to encourage them Hmm. and let them maybe see life through a biblical worldview uh, to matter what problems they're having, uh, even when it comes to losing uh, 10 of your friends in a plane crash. Like, how do we approach that? How do we look at that? How do we try to make reason of that? And I found that the only way that, that makes sense is to go to the Bible. And what does the Bible say about that? So I started kind of still doing my job, doing the best I could to continue to carry on uh, at the weekly Bible studies. Um just trying to encourage people and uh, talk to people about Jesus and the hope he's given us. And we had an instance where uh, now that John Hendrick is no longer with us, that we want to carry on. So there was a, there was some fear that maybe our Bible study would stop Mm. because he was uh, with the Lord and it didn't. We brought in a uh, part-time chaplain uh, by the name of Steve Hudson, who was with MRO. And he also was a chaplain with the motocross supercross industry and he would come in once a week, and we kind of carried on. And we had an opportunity one week where uh, he was unable to make it because uh, his plane had been diverted coming from an event in Dallas. And we had a bunch of employees down at this lunch waiting to be fed, you know, kind of, you know, a message, and he wasn't there. So uh, they kind of – uh, he made a call in and left the mic open and said, if anybody wants to share a testimony or something, feel free. And uh, I just remember sitting there thinking it would be nice if someone would get up there and share their testimony. And the whole time I was in this battle with my flesh and my spirit because hmm. God was telling me to get up there. Uh, but the devil was telling me not to get up there. And what seemed like this long battle, uh, minutes and minutes was probably just seconds. And it's probably the first time I'd ever got up in uh, in front of my peers. It's something to get up in front of a hundred of your peers and turn around in front of them and share why you believe Jesus is the way. 
And I did it, scared to death, didn't know what I said. I spoke for about 25 minutes, <laughs> and then I sat back down. Uh, but what I believe it does is when we do that, it marks us. Uh, it allows people to go, hey, he's willing to talk about it. And uh, that was kind of a start for me to get going. And uh, so the following week, our chaplain came back, and he had asked, uh, thanked me for doing that and asked if I could find a guest speaker for our lunch the following week. And something told me to just say I would do it. And so he allowed me to to do the next week. Uh, but then once I did that, I was a nervous wreck because I realized I've already shared my testimony. So now <laughs> I actually have to teach something out of the Bible. Yes. And uh, I was scared to death. I didn't want to do it. I was I was like, why did I say yes to this? But uh, I'd been running from God long enough. He'd been wanting. I'd been feeling him in my spirit tell me to get up and, and, and uh, I've gifted you and I want you to talk about me more. I didn't know what that was going to look like, but he was opening doors for me in the workplace so uh i came that next week and i just remember thinking man i hope i can get through this and i stood in front of my peers again and i remember i spoke on ephesians 6 about uh the whole armor of god and i used some you know some illustrations and things and uh it kind of just from there it just kept going i kept serving our chaplain helping him and it got to the point where he would use me more often and the more I would be used, the more it would be noticed. And then I want to say maybe 2012, 2013, the company uh, pulled the, uh, seven of us into an office. And uh, and we actually thought they were going to get rid of the Bible study. <laughs> uh, but they decided to start a faith committee at the company, uh, <laughs> a committee of, of uh, members that would just help really pour into uh, pour into the employees uh, from a spiritual standpoint, but not just that, but also uh, to serve them, uh, to be there to help look after them if the employees are out sick or if they're at the hospital or uh, just kind of be like little deacons in the workplace, but mostly simply there to serve the employees. And we were kind of spaced throughout the campus at different shops, and so I was asked to be on that committee. And much of what we did on that committee was just uh, love employees. Uh, we had the Bible study. We prayed individually and corporate. Uh, we served them in, in different ways and had special events. And soon after that, um, I'd actually missed some work in, in 2013 out with some neck surgery that I had uh, from just a, a hard field life of running hard, I guess you could say. And I felt God telling me to get ordained. And I really didn't know why, but I had five pastors uh, support and come around me and ordain me. And then um, probably 2015, uh, our chaplain that we had had gone and been in a motorcycle accident. Mm. And um, he had been out for about a year and a few months with a concussion. And basically what I did is I stepped in and filled his role while he was out until he was able to get come back. And then in the meantime, the company decided to go with a full-time chaplain, uh, much like you see in other major sports. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing has full-time chaplain, RCR, a bunch of different football teams. All throughout America, you see uh, chaplains in collegiate sports, professional sports, and Sure. The company was ready to go with a full-time chaplain. Um, you know, a five-day a week committed to, to just Hendrick Motorsports uh, to serve our people. 
and then of course run this uh what we had changed from a bible study it's now called the john hendrick fellowship lunch and uh so my job as being the chairman of that committee was uh, we drew up what a job description would look like for that. And uh, and then once that was uh, – it took about four months and, you know, went through the HR and some uh, legal reviews to make sure we were doing it the right way. And, and then it was time to go find a chaplain. And, of course, we offered it to our current chaplain, but because of his medical condition, uh, he declined and had he, he moved forward. So I went in the industry and looking who would be a good fit for our company. And remember now with all this happening, I'm still a team guy. I'm on the team still working. That's right. Teams. And at this, at this point, you know, uh, 18, 17 years on the teams. Uh, and uh, after a couple people declined for various reasons, some because of age and, and other things like that, I went to motor racing outreach. I figured what better place to go uh, than the place that had been serving our community for 30 years. And uh, as I went uh, and interviewed and talked with a, uh, one of their chaplains, um, they made it clear to me that they thought I should do it. Hmm. And I was a little hesitant of that, uh, one, because I knew that I would have to quit the company and uh, because uh, they wanted you to be under a ministry. Um you know, Hendrick Motorsports is a workplace that builds race cars. They're not a ministry. Right. So they wanted me to have support of ministry. And so uh, after having some uh, counsel with a chaplain with MRO, and uh, he said, maybe you should bring up, maybe you should do it. Uh, and basically, he just affirmed what I'd heard from 20 or 30 other people that had been saying, I think you should should put your name in the hat. And so I went to the committee and said, I feel like God's calling me to do this. And um, I had, you know, all through 2012, all the way up to this moment, actually probably 2005 after the plane crashed, I really dug into uh, studying and taking seminary courses and studying theology and really making sure I knew what I was talking about when it comes to uh, spiritual things and the Christian faith and other faiths. So I felt like I was prepared. And uh, so I presented it to the committee, and they selected me. <laughs> and then it got real, uh, so I had to quit the company. And uh, M MRO took me on as a staff chaplain, and basically I never went anywhere. I just went into an office. And so from there on, I became the full-time chaplain of Henrik Motorsports. That's a great story. I love hearing that. And I know for many out there who wrestle, including myself, who work at a big company for many years, and are thinking about going into ministry, that's a great encouragement to know that you wrestled with that because, you know, when God calls us, I think, and we just have a clear answer to just go and like, yep, that's it. And we don't wrestle with it. Sometimes I think that becomes our feelings more than that becomes really deeply uh, becoming more in tune with what the Lord has planned. And tell me about real quick, and then we'll finish it up with a couple last questions here. Tell me about wrestling with God in that sense and how you kind of didn't feel qualified and yet God in so many instances in the Bible, calls those who aren't necessarily qualified to follow his call. Tell me about wrestling with the Lord and what that was like for you. Yeah, I went through a period, uh, you know, after that plane crashed in 04, probably 05, 06, 07, uh, we actually had an employee uh, not long after that plane crashed, a friend of mine in the, in the race shops here uh, had a heart attack one day. And uh, I, I just remember uh, everybody 
come to me because I'm the ex-cop guy, right? I'm the ex-military guy. Right. So they figured, well, he, you know, I've been around stuff like that. So I just remember uh, I'd been to lunch with him that day, and I knew that uh, uh, he was struggling in his life. And um, and then an hour later, I was doing CPR on him, and uh, he didn't make it that day. And mm. I just remember uh, thinking to myself, I had so so many opportunities to share the gospel with him, but I never did. Mm. And from then on, I knew, like, you know, I'm going to have to continue to let people know that there's this hope that the Lord has given us. And um, so I wrestled back and forth. Of how do you do that in the workplace? Because we we live in a world where people tell us you can't do that in the workplace. Right. But I believe you can do that in the workplace when you do it uh, through God's eyes and not your own. And uh, so I went on this journey of thinking, how can I do that? But at the same time, saying to myself, I'm not qualified to do this. I had this Jonah moment where I, I kind of ran from God. And it was like, I don't really want to do that. And um, kind of a battle back and forth. I would battle driving back and forth to work. And and then finally, I just remember, you know, praying to the Lord that, you know, you say you're going to guide my steps and that uh, we're to walk in faith. and when we walk in faith, see, often we we want to walk knowing what the results are going to be before we act. But God says, I need you to walk in faith. And I believe when we take a step in faith, and that's when we really see God release his power. And that's when we see him do things that we couldn't even imagine. And so I would take these little steps, these little steps, you know, struggle a little bit and say, well, okay, you want me to go – talk to this person, I'll do this, and just continue to love on people and uh, show grace to people and try not to judge people simply because I knew that Christ was the answer, that he had something better for us, that what the world is offering is a lie, and uh, the more I would do that, uh, it seemed like the more I would try to pursue what God had for me, the more the devil would come in and say, you're not qualified, you can't do this, and then sometimes uh, he would, the devil would use people to remind me, you know, people would say, have you ever been to seminary or how do you know this? Or how are you qualified to do ministry? And I just remember just going, just go and walk in faith and do what God's called me to do because I knew what he called me to do. And that's hard to explain sometimes, but to people, but I just, I just kept wrestling with it where the more and more I did it, the easier it got. You're walking in the Lord's footsteps too, and that's when God provides. He says, "In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your path." So that's clearly what He's been doing for you, Donnie. The website is it's blackandwhite.org. That's your ministry website. You can also go to go to mro.com, which is the motor racing outreach website, and find out all the great things that they're doing there. Donnie, this has been a treat to talk to you. We ask this question a lot um, with our guests here on the podcast, and I'll ask it for you. In the season that God has you in right now, in the place that you're in as a chaplain now, what have you been learning from the Lord? What has God been teaching you during this time with him? Uh, so he's been teaching me the very thing I told you that's the biggest struggle, and that's contentment. Uh, to find contentment. And no matter what we do, in life, we have to find contentment. And that doesn't mean we settle for less. That's that's not meaning mediocrity. But there's some things in life that we can't change. 
And often we try to change everything and we try to fix everything when sometimes God's just asking us to be still and be content and be content in who he is and what he has done for us. And in the process of contentment, I've found that uh, that's when I really can hear from God, you know, that I have to be content that maybe one day I go through a whole week and maybe only one person gives me a call and wants advice or some counsel. But I have to be content knowing that that's who God had for me that week. And I have to be content that when uh, I share a message every week uh, to the employees at HMS that that God reached who he needed to reach that day, regardless of how many people showed up or if anybody come up and thanked me for the message, I have to find contentment. But also contentment, you know, in other things in life with uh with with some of the things that are going politically in 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 the world we live or in racing some of the things that racing is very difficult when it comes to deadlines and many hours and things like that but trying to find contentment in the way things are because sometimes that's just the way they are uh but i think once you find contentment and who god is and what he's done for us uh it just brings a peace you know a peace uh it's really unexplainable. He is Donnie Floyd. I, we didn't even talk about your time in the Air Force. You served in the Air Force for eight years. So first of all, thank you for your service to our country for that. You worked in law enforcement for five years. And thank you for serving and protecting uh, as well. And now working in the NASCAR world, first with Hendrick Motorsports as a crew member and now as the chaplain through Motor Racing Outreach and serving the great people at Hendrick Motorsports. This has been a treat to get to know you, my friend, Donnie, and I appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. Wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. And we do thank Donnie Floyd, NASCAR chaplain with Hendrick Motorsports and Motor Racing Outreach for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum podcast and really enjoyed Donnie's story. You can learn more about Donnie by going to his website, itsblackandwhite.org it's blackandwhite.org you can learn more about Donnie more about his ministry and his journey go to his website it's blackandwhite.org thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast we also thank our partners Compassion International sponsoring this podcast Compassion.com backslash sports spectrum that's the place to go and sponsor a child for just $38 a month We are so excited about partnering with them and just opportunities to provide children hope, uh, releasing them from poverty. 1.8 million people, 1.8 million children have been released from poverty through Compassion, and you can be a part of that as well. So go to Compassion.com backslash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. You can reach us, as always, on Twitter, at sports underscore spectrum, and, of course, on our Instagram and on our Facebook page as well. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and also listen to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. So we're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Play, we're on Stitcher, and we're also on Spotify. A lot of you have Spotify accounts. I have a Spotify account. You can go right to your, your Spotify app and search Sports Spectrum, and our all of our podcasts archived are right there now for your listening pleasure. It's really been great to see how this podcast has 
impacted so many people's lives and telling the stories of sports and faith, a, a place where really there doesn't exist anywhere else where you can actually hear these stories of sports and faith in a way where we're asking questions and we're getting answers that really not many other outlets are getting. So we're just so grateful and honored to be a part of this. And really, we're grateful to God. We want to honor Him with all that we do. We take it very seriously, what we do, and we want to make sure that it glorifies the name of Jesus above anything else that we accomplish here on the podcast. So thank you so much for being a part of it, for listening for subscribing, for downloading. And of course, you can email me directly, jason at sportspectrum.com, jason at sportspectrum.com. And just send us your your thoughts. Send us any ideas you have for guests. Maybe you want to write one of our devotionals on sportspectrum.com. You can do that as well. So check it out. All of our content is available at sportspectrum.com. And you can reach us directly there or by emailing me. Thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next time. Have a great rest of your day from all of us here at Sports Spectrum.